You know, as I said in the prayer earlier, I know this is a difficult, difficult time of the year for, for people that have experienced the darkness of this world. I hear it every year and I understand. I, I get it. Um, people say, you know, I just can't really, I just can't really celebrate. I want you to think about this, about what it is that we're actually celebrating. Each week we lit a candle, ever since the beginning of December. The point of that is just simple symbolism that says, when there are no candles lit, it's dark. And this world is a dark world with no light. If there were no light in this world... Oh me. But I thank God that as we waited for the Messiah to come, each week we saw just a little more light. And then another light. And then a little more light. And a little more light until finally He's here. Light has come into the world. And the darkness did not overcome it. What that says to me, you know, I, I think about so many people, you know, I think about uh, our family. You know, we, we lost my dad not too long ago. You know, that's tough to, to, to lose someone that you love. But I think to myself, how miserable would it be to have to endure that in this world and there be no light? And so even though it hurts that my loved one is gone and that there's suffering in this world, and even though there's tears, I look at the light and I remember, this light proved to me that He has the power over sin. This light proved to me that He has the power over sickness, over disease, over hunger. He has the power over death. And when that light came into the world, he showed me that in the midst of this darkness, one day, if I trust in the light, the darkness will not overcome it. And I can say through this season that weeping may endure through the night. And can I tell you today that it will? But can I tell you that joy comes in the morning? Joy comes in the morning. I love to think about the fact that we will see our loved ones again. Yes, yes. We, you know, I think about um, the Wolliver family this morning and they're talking and they're thinking about you know, their, their great loss and yet at the same time I've heard testimony from them that they're also talking about the peace that they have. The peace that they have because they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this was not the end. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, though he die, he will never die. Amen. How can you die and never die? In Jesus you can. In Jesus, the body may die, and it will die. But the soul will live on forever, and one day it will receive a new body, a body like Christ's body. And one day we will receive that same body with them and we will rejoice in the light of Christ together with them. And so I say to you this morning, if you struggle through this season celebrating, I understand because weeping endures through the night.
But can I tell you that Christmas is the reminder to us year after year that joy is coming. Yes, the world is full of darkness, but light has come into this dark world and it did not overcome it. I pray that you think through that this season and I pray that you're able to celebrate Christmas. Even in the midst of tears, you're able to thank God that there's hope. Thank God. I mean, you think about it. How miserable would it be for there to just be no hope? We, there's no hope. It's just the end. And not only is it the end, but it goes on throughout our eternity with endless suffering. God, thank you that that's not our fate. God, thank you for what you've done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray you get that this morning. I pray you feel it. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 16. I've been going through this um, passage of Scripture for the last few weeks because I thought it was very fitting for telling the Christmas story. Basically, I'd like to show you one more time that as we begin in uh, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy... I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. Now think about what he's saying right here, all right? Because this is the context for understanding what he's fixing to give us. There is a particular way that the church of the living God should behave. There is a truth that we believe that should transform us and make us more like the one that we follow. Alright? And that truth is held up by the church. The church of the living God is the pillar, the pillars and the buttress, the, the, the foundation that holds up the truth that changes the way that you and I live. That changes the way that you and I behave. <coughs> Excuse me. And so notice what he says next in verse 16. <coughs> Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. So now he's going to give us a summary of this truth. He wants us to understand that this truth that we uphold is a great mystery. For years and for ages, Peter tells us that the prophets longed to look into the things that they were writing about. That they were slowly being revealed, uh, the things about Jesus Christ were slowly being revealed to the prophets. And you remember it started in the garden. In the Garden of Eden, whenever uh, he told the, um, the woman and Satan, he said, listen, the seed of the woman is going to come and crush the serpent's head. First revelation of the Messiah. It's going to be the seed of a woman. And this is the reason why from there on out, old Satan is attacking all of the male Jewish children. Because he has a revelation now of what this person is going to look like. Same reason why whenever Moses was born, Pharaoh was trying to kill all the male Hebrews. Why? Because what does Satan know about the Messiah? It's going to be the seed of the woman. 
that's going to come and crush the serpent's head. And so he's always been trying to attack. And then he's going to be the, um, the seed of David. He's going to be a king that will rule on the throne forever and ever. He's going to be a wonderful counselor. He's going to be mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to be born in Bethlehem according to Micah. And so there were so many passages of scriptures and the prophets each and every time we're just longing to know more and more about what this Messiah was going to look like. And so there is this, this great mystery that was unfolding little by little of how God was going to save us. And the mystery of godliness, Paul says here, is a great mystery. But then he lays out the summary for it. And he says... He was manifested in the flesh. There's the mystery. God was revealed in the flesh through Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law for you and I because we cannot fulfill that righteous requirement of the law. The Bible says there's none good. No, not one. We are all sinners and fallen short of the glory of God. And our only hope is that someone comes and pays the penalty that you and I owe for our sins and then fulfills the righteous requirement of the law. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He was manifested in the flesh. And then, as we talked about last week, He faced so many accusations when He claimed to be the one that has authority to forgive sins. They looked at Him and they said, Who do you think you are? Whenever He claimed to be equal with God, they picked up stones and they wanted to kill Him for blasphemy. When he claimed to be the Christ, the Son of God, they put him on trial and they hung him on a cross. When he claimed to be the one who can raise the dead, they laughed at him. When he claimed to be the one that can give eternal life, when he claimed to be the one that can make you right with the Father, he said, no one comes to the Father except by me. And each time they would accuse him and they would say, who in the world do you think you are? You speak blasphemy. They say you have a demon. They would say you are operating under the power of Beelzebub, the power of Satan. They made all these accusations, but notice what it says next in our text. He was vindicated by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when He raised Jesus from the dead, Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit declared Jesus to be the Son of God in power. In other words, the Spirit vindicated Jesus when He raised Him from the dead. He said, He has no guilt. That's why death can't hold Him. Because the wages of sin is death. And if He has no sin, then death has no pains to hold Him with. And so the Spirit vindicated Jesus when He raised Him from the dead. He proved Him to be not guilty of any sin fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law for you and I. And then 
He proved Him to be the Son of God in power, that everything He said, that He was the one that could raise the dead, that He was the one that could give eternal life, that He had the authority to forgive sins, He was vindicated by the Spirit when He was raised from the dead. And the Spirit said, this man is everything He said He was. And listen, that's so important. Y'all listen to me, please. Either Jesus is everything He claimed to be, or if He even missed the mark on one thing He claimed to be, He's a liar, and you can't trust Him. Either He's everything He claimed to be, or He's a liar. And let me tell you something, when the Spirit raised Him from the dead, the Spirit said, this man is everything He claimed to be. He is equal with God. He is the Son of God in power. He is the one that has the authority to forgive sins. And let me tell you something, when you understand that truth, it changes the way you live. Because if I know that this is the man that has the authority to forgive my sins, as I told you last week, I'm following this guy. Because I need that. I need forgiveness for my sins. If I know that this is the man who can raise the dead, I'm following this guy because I got a problem with that. I need to be raised from my deadness. If I know that this is the man that can give eternal life, I'm following this man because I want and I need eternal life. This man is everything he said he was and because he was manifested in the flesh, because he was vindicated by the Spirit, I'm following this guy and it's going to change the way that I live. Remember, that's the reason why we hold this truth because there's a certain way that the household of God is supposed to behave. And if they believe these truths, then it changes the way that they behave. It changes the way that they live. If someone says that they are a follower of Jesus Christ and their behavior does not change, their life is not beginning to be transformed, then can I tell you, they don't know and they don't understand the truth of the gospel. So today we get to the next part. The first thing was that the testimony of the Spirit. He was manifested in the flesh and the Spirit testified to it when He vindicated Him and raised Him from the dead. The second thing is that He was seen by angels. Now we're going to get the angels' testimony. And basically, this is the progression of this hymn that they sung. They saw the Spirit's testimony of Him being manifested in the flesh. They saw the angels' testimony of Him being manifested in the flesh. And then he was proclaimed among the nations. We see the apostles' testimony as they go out. We see their transformed lives and and we see that they testify to his person and his work. And then next we see he was believed on in the world. The world of Christians, you and I today testify to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. As our lives are transformed and our lives are changed, and then finally at the end, God testified to who Jesus was whenever He took Him up in glory and set Him at His right hand. But today we're going to look at the angel's testimony. He was seen by angels. You know, the Bible tells us that men quake at the presence of a single angel. And the Bible tells us that there are 
thousands upon tens of thousands and myriads and myriads of angels. And yet, men quake at the presence of a single angel. One angel is said in the Old Testament to have, have put 185,000 men to death in a single night. One angel. One angel in Revelation is said to put one foot in the sea and one foot on the land. The, 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 mag, the magnificence of these beings. One angel's voice caused the foundations of the entire temple to shake in Isaiah chapter 6. Every time a message was delivered by an angel, they had to tell the recipient of that message, don't be afraid, because the Bible says they shook with great fear. And yet, here in this hymn, it tells us that Jesus was observed. That word seen literally means that He was observed. They, they peered into the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, and they watched it from the moment of His birth to the time He was taken up into glory, they, they observed His life and everything that He did. We're going to look at some of those things here in just a minute. But the point here is that holy angels observed Jesus. And these angels are mentioned as being involved in many of the most important events of the life of Jesus Christ, which we'll look at. There's just a host of angelic involvement in the life of Christ. And you're going to see the reason why it's important that we understand this and we see the story of Him being manifested in the flesh from the angel's perspective. You need to see that so that you see the angel's testimony to who He is. <clears throat> Let's see what the angel saw. The first thing the angel saw is they saw Jesus before His humiliation. Now what I mean by that, they saw Him before He humbled Himself and took on the form of a servant. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Isaiah has a vision here. Now I want you to think through this vision with me. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, that's important because King Uzziah was such an important king for them. He had reigned for 52 years and he had strengthened the kingdom of Judah, expanded its borders farther than anyone else had ever seen. And so King Uzziah dies. And that's a problem because now the king is dead. What are we going to do? And so... Notice what happened. In the year the king Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. That word Lord means the supreme ruler, the supreme king of all. So the king is dead, but in that year that he died, I saw the supreme king, the king of all kings upon a throne, and he was high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now the point is this, in um, older days of royalty, one of the ways that the king or the queen displayed their glory was by the train that went behind them. Go back and watch the coronation of Queen Elizabeth on um, YouTube. You can pull that up. 
I forget how many people she had behind her helping carry her train as it dragged behind her. And that represented the glory of royalty. And what Isaiah is seeing here is that this king is on a throne that's high and lifted up above every other throne. And the train of his robe fills the entire temple. Above him, now think about it, now we're getting to the angels, right? Above him, his his throne's already high and lifted up. But standing above him are the seraphim. These seraphim, this word literally means burning ones. They're literally burning and consumed with fire. And I believe they have to be because the Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. And so they are fitted, I believe, with a body to perform the service that God has them to perform, to be in His presence at His throne. And it says, each of these seraphim had six wings. And with two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. What do we see here? We see a picture of these magnificent, huge beings that have never sinned in their life. They're perfect in every way. And yet, in the presence of this king, they still are unworthy to look upon His beauty in its pure form. They even cover their feet. Go on to verse 3 with me. And one called, some versions say, and they cried one to another. And one called to another and said, and so here they are, they're flying at the throne of God, and they're covering their face, and they're covering their feet, And all they can do is cry to one another. (coughs) Excuse me. And what do they say? (coughs) Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. In other words, you would think that they would just be looking at God and saying, You are glorious. But instead, what are they looking at? the whole earth. They're looking at all of creation because creation is the display of His glory, right? Everything was made to be a display of His power, His majesty, His might, His love, His mercy, His grace. And here these angels are and they're looking at creation and all they can do is cry back and forth to one another and say, Holy, holy, holy is this Lord. Would you look? The whole earth is full of His, and you would expect Him to say right here, the whole earth is full of His holiness. But that's not what He says. He says the whole earth is filled with His glory. Why does He say that? Because that's what the glory of God is. The glory of God is His holiness put on display. What I mean by that is this. The word holy means to be set apart. To be completely set apart from any and everything. You are in, holy is in a category all by itself. Absolute perfection. And when the angels look at all creation, they see the display of His holiness. 
that there's nothing and no one like him. Would you look at this? There's nothing and no one like him. And he's not just holy, he's holy, holy, holy. This is what the angel saw. Now, why is this important? Now go with me to Matthew, I'm sorry, John chapter 12, verse 41. Isaiah said these things, and you go back and read it. It's all in chapter 6. If you go back to John chapter 12 and you read what he's talking about, he's talking about this passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 6. And look what he says right here. Isaiah said these things because he saw, and he was talking about Jesus, because he saw Jesus' glory and he spoke of Him. Isaiah and these angels saw Jesus on His throne, the King of kings, the supreme ruler. He saw Him and they saw Him before His humiliation. And what did they see? They saw a holy, holy, holy Creator of all things. The angels saw Him before His humiliation. Next, they saw His humiliation. Look with me at Luke chapter 2, verse 10 through 14. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. The angel says, He's right over there. We saw it. We saw it. We were watching when it happened. And for unto you. I can think about what the angels are saying. Guys, do you know who that is? The angels saw him before. They know who he is. They know his glory. They know his perfection. They know his holiness. They know that he is the reason why we are. And he looks and he says, guys, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is, and and this guy, this baby in a manger, it's Christ, it's the Lord, it's the King of kings, it is the the great I Am is in a manger. Verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and he'll be lying in a manger. Verse 13. I'm sorry. Yeah, verse 13. And suddenly, listen to this, because when the angels see the humiliation of the great I Am, the great Creator, the angels sing about it. The angels rejoice in it. These magnificent beings, perfect in every way, sinless, And yet they see the humiliation of this. They rejoice in it. A Savior has come. They see the mercy of God. They see the grace of God. They see the love of God. And they're sitting here just peering into it, looking at it, going, Guys, do you know who this is? And so suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He's pleased. The angel said, guys, do you understand who this is? 
And do you understand that you can have peace with God because of Him? The angels saw this. They saw the most holy being to ever exist, not grasp onto His holiness, but choose to not use it, and instead to take on the form of a servant. These angels saw Him as He humbled Himself, even to the point of death on a cross for mankind. The angels sit up there and they went, what kind of God is this? Who is this that loves like this? Who is this with this kind of mercy, with this kind of grace? And they sing and they rejoice about it and they worship Him and they say glory to God in the highest because He offers peace to all those on earth among those with whom He's pleased. They saw His baptism and temptation in Matthew chapter 4 verse 11 after His temptation. The devil left Him and behold, what happened? Angels came. They were watching the whole thing. They're watching Him throughout His whole life. They're watching Him overcome temptation. They're watching Him conquer the devil. They're watching darkness throw everything it has at Him. And it does not overcome it. And they sit there and they're peering into it. And they, they, they are in awe of what they see. They saw Him agonizing in the garden. Luke 22 verse 43. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, what? Strengthening him. Now think about that. He's in the garden. The very crucifixion of his soul. In the garden and he's pleading with the Father, Father, if there is any other way except I drink this cup, then let it pass from me. Yet not my will, but thy will be done. And can you imagine being the angel that was given the assignment, hey, go strengthen him. And the angel comes alongside of him in the garden and he strengthens his own creator. He saw him. They listened as he pleaded in prayer for any other way. They watched as the weight of it drove his face into the ground. They saw him as sweat, and as he sweated drops of blood from the immense stress on him. They heard him take comfort in trusting God's will. They saw him overcome Satan and all of his temptations. They watched every bit of it, and they just sit in awe. They saw all the accusations against him as as mankind beat Him. Listen, this is the Creator God. Remember, this is the one they saw on the throne. This is the King of all kings. The one whose train of His robe fills the entire temple. The one that created all things. The one that is thrice holy. And they watch as mankind beats on Him. And as mankind accuses Him of being Satan. And they sit back and they go, what is happening? And then in Matthew, can you imagine where they were in Matthew 26 verse 53 when they heard Jesus say these words, Do you not think that I can appeal to my Father and He will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? And don't you know the angels were on the edge going, just give the word. Just give the word. 
and they saw it and they watched him. And you know what? He didn't call for them. He went through it all and he went to the cross. They heard him pray for the forgiveness of the ones who did it to him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the angel said, what? What? Who, what kind of love is this? What kind of mercy is this? What kind of grace is this? And yet, they look at each and every one of us celebrating this Christmas and we're all got our heads down and we're all in the darkness of the world and there's no hope. And they look at you and they say, Do you know who this is? Do you understand what He did? And you can't even find the strength to sing about it. You can't even find happiness in it. You can't even find hope in it. What's wrong with you people? The angels saw it. They saw Him hang in agony at the crucifixion until He drew His last breath. They saw His resurrection and His vindication in Matthew chapter 28, verse 2 through 6. I love, I love what they saw there. It says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone. Amen. The angel knew he was alive. Amen. And the angel came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. <laughs> verse 3. His appearance was like lightning and His clothing white as snow. Verse 4. And for the fear of Him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. I love the fact that they saw Him vindicated in His resurrection. But the angel said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. We saw it too. We saw it too, but guess what? He's not here. Darkness threw everything it had at Him. We watched it. We watched it. We sit on the edge of our seats just waiting on Him to say the word, and He never said it. And darkness threw everything it had at Him. This world and Satan threw all it had. There was nothing left to throw at Him. And guess what? He's not here. For he has risen. And he said, come, see the place where he lay. He's not here. He is risen. They saw his ascension as a forever human in Acts chapter 1 verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, Jesus is ascending up into heaven. And behold, two men stood by them in white robes. You know who those two men were? They were the angels. And they said to the disciples, why do you stand here gazing? He's coming back the same way he left. And you know what the angels also know? They're coming with him. They're coming with him. The angels saw every aspect of his humiliation, every aspect of his vindication. The angels saw and they can testify to all of us today and to all creation they can say, we know who he is.
is, what He did. We know what He offers you. We know how amazing it is. And all we can do is stand here and sit here in awe of it and praise Him as we just simply say glory to God in the highest. Peace to all that He is pleased with. So, how do the angels respond to what they've seen? i got to hurry up. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9 through 12. Look at how the angels respond. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Go to verse 10. Concerning this salvation, that's where I should have started. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully. So here we got the prophets. They were writing about it. The Holy Spirit was telling them, this is what He's going to be. This is what He's going to look like. The mystery is being revealed little by little. And the whole time, they're searching their own writings going, what's He going to be like? What is the Savior of the world going to look like? What's He going to do? And they search and inquire carefully. Keep going. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And so they're searching the Scriptures and they want to see the sufferings of the Christ and they want to see the the glories that come afterwards. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And look at this next part. Things into which what? Angels stand in such awe of your salvation. They look and all they can say is, what kind of God is this that will do what He just did, that will humiliate Himself and allow His creation to make Him suffer the way that they did? in order just to forgive the ones that did it to Him. And the angels sit back and they watched all of it and they long to peer into it, to look into it. That word, long to look, it's the same exact word that's used in the Gospel of John when John and Peter are running to the tomb together. And they've heard that Jesus is not there. And they get to the tomb and the Bible says that Peter went and stooped in to look. You see the picture here? Watch what I'm doing. The same exact word. The angels stoop to look. And they're just sitting there and they're watching. And they're watching what God does for you and what He's done for you through sending His only Son. And they peer into it and they observe it and it makes them stand in awe of what He has done for you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 through 10. i got just a few more scriptures. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. What does it mean to be rich in something? You've got a lot of it, right? Which... He lavished on us. What does it mean to lavish? Just, I mean, just keeps... He, God made it rain, y'all. 
which He lavished upon us. And He did it in all wisdom and insight. And the angels see the wisdom of God from the beginning of redemption. Because remember, this was an eternal plan. This was a plan that was put together before man was created. It's not like salvation was an afterthought. It's not like Adam and Eve messed up and sinned and God went, Oh no, what am I going to do? No, before He ever created it, He had the plan of how He was going to redeem us. And He makes known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which look, which He set forth in Christ. It was wisdom. And then finally in verse 10, He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. There is this summing up of all things and He creates all things new and He does it all in Jesus Christ. And the angels sit back and they watch it and they look at it. And in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8 through 12, look what happens. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to me, Paul said. And the grace is to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Look at verse 9. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. Remember, it was just slowly revealed. It was a mystery. Who created all things. And look at verse 10. So in other words, this plan of salvation, this redemption, right? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. These are the angels. These are the angels. In other words, God put this plan of redemption in place so that all of heaven, the host of heaven, would look at it and see the wisdom of God. And he says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now go with me to Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 through 10. This is the second thing that the angels do to respond to what they see in Jesus. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. This is the song the angels sing. Now remember the song used to be, Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of your glory. Now the song is changed. Worthy are you to take the scroll. And the scroll was the title deed to the earth. And no one was worthy to, to be the king of all creation. No one was worthy to hold the title deed of the earth and open the earth. And remember, John cried. John weeped. And all of a sudden, someone said, Hey, don't cry. Look. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb of God. He is worthy. And they sing the song and they say, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you. Why? Because you were slain. And by your blood you ransom people for God. You are worthy to be the Lord of lords and the King of kings because look what you did for this kingdom. You were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, from every language, from every people, and from every nation. 
I thank God that heaven is a diverse heaven. And you have made them, all of them, a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. You made them kings and you made them priests. This is what you did. So here's how they respond. First, they stand in awe of the salvation and the wisdom of God. Second, they worship as Him being the rightful King to all creation. And then third, they ascribe to Him power and wealth and wisdom, might and honor and glory. Look at verse 11 and 12 of Revelation 5. They keep going in the song. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands. And look at what they say in verse 12. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power. Why is He worthy to receive power? Because He alone was able to open the seal to the deed of creation because He was slain. Worthy are you to receive wealth. Why? Because it all belongs to Him now. He purchased it all. It's all summed up in Him. Worthy are you to receive wisdom. Why wisdom? Because He was part of the eternal plan. Worthy are you to receive might. Might because He had the strength to fulfill the plan. See, the Father, He willed it. The Son, He performed it. The Spirit, He accomplished it. And worthy are you to receive wisdom. Wisdom. Worthy are you to receive might because you had the strength to fulfill it. Worthy are you to receive honor because He did fulfill the plan. And worthy are you to receive glory because it all displays His holiness. Our correct response when we look at the angel's testimony, it ought to change the way you live and it ought to change the way you worship. But our problem is this. We don't see the way the angels see it. And so my prayer after I got through studying this was, Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe help my unbelief. And I believe that if the angels were to stand before us today and they were to say something to you this Christmas, they would simply ask you this question. Do you know who that is? Do you know what He's done for you? And do you understand what He is offering you? And if you do, this Christmas, you are to stand in awe. And this Christmas, you are to worship a little different. And this Christmas, you are to ascribe to Him all the honor and all the glory because it all belongs to Him. If y'all would stand this morning for a time of response.
Maybe this morning you need to bow yourself before Him and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for not standing in awe of Christmas. Forgive me for not being led to worship, for not seeing you for who you are, for not understanding the weight of what you've done for me. And Lord, help my unbelief. And Lord, give me a heart to worship You. Whatever it is that the Lord spoke to you this morning, I pray that this Christmas is a little different simply because of the Word that He spoke to you today. Whatever you need, now is your time to respond to the Word of God in some way.